You're tuned in to the Curated by Podcast. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Curated by Podcast. I'm here with Rick. Hello. Myself, Thomas. And Coco Bryce. Coco oh, yeah. Bryce, welcome. Um, real name Joel Bego, by the way. Also a pretty good artist name. Proud to have you um, on a post-COVID comeback party um, at Melkweg uh, on the 25th of September. Um, we'll be playing alongside Brethren, Nympho Back-to-Back, Rachel Green and Joe Roby. Um, welcome, Joel. Uh, before we start, we would like to ask you some short questions, uh, which you have to answer right away. Um, short answers. Short answers. Indeed. Short and fast. Uh, so tell us the first things that pop up. Um, best back-to-back session ever. What? Best back-to-back session of mine or yeah, yeah. For... yeah. Uh, Eindhoven at a squat party with uh, a guy called Gabo. Number one musical hero. Mannix. Four to the floor or drum and bass. Oh, four to the floor. I don't like drum and bass that much, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, best groupie experience. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not going into that one. No? <laughs> um, best Dutch venue for you? Best Dutch what? Dutch venue. Oh, the boulevard. But that's no longer there. So, best current uh, Dutch venue? I wouldn't know, man. No? I had no idea. Still working on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another one, Breda or London? Oh, no, no. I do have an answer for that. Like, Pier 15. Pier 15. Yeah. Cool. We'll uh, get into that later. Um, Breda or London? Both. Uh, rising star of the future. I'd say my favorite at the moment would be Sempra, and I think he's going to go pretty far within jungle, so I'd say Sempra. But he's not a rising star yet. Cool. I think if I have to pick someone who's going to be like like proper big, big, it would probably be Sherelle, but she's already getting there. Hey. Cap or beanie? Uh, at the moment, a beanie. No, I used to always wear caps. Like, beanie has only been, like, for the last couple of years. So, beanie right now. Uh, strangest thing to ever happen during a set? Um, <laughs> well, it wasn't actually... That's, that's a long story. You want me to elaborate? Because <laughs> uh, as a reminder, it was at the Technoval in, uh, in the Czech Republic. Okay, we'll uh, ride it. And, and it didn't happen to me, but it's, like, the one that, part, that springs to mind right away. It was super funny. Uh, most important thing on your rider? <laughs> See DJs with a USB slot. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer, indeed. Uh, oh, and, uh, you mean like the technical courtesy rider? No, no, no. It's always interesting if if someone would Whatever. say the hospitality rider or the technical rider, but you choose for technical rider, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I can't do a gig without <laughs> being indeed. able to play music. And so. If you would have to say something of the hospitality uh, rider, yeah, probably. Beer. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and last favorite MC? Uh, Black Eye. Clear. Black Eye and uh, and Double O. But Double O is more of a producer and DJ, but he's also an excellent MC in my opinion. But Black Eye, yeah, definitely. Try to have a short answer, but uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Black Eye. So jo- Joel, uh, we are here now, uh, not in the Melkweg, uh, especially f- especially for this uh, podcast. We travel to Breda, mm-hmm. and we are now. So in, did I. Uh, what? So did I. Yeah, you live here. Huh. <laughs> And uh, we're now in a mess, uh, which is a, a well-known club in Breda. Uh, mm-hmm. what's, what's your history? Do you have a history with mess? Yeah, I have quite a history with the mess. You know, in, in, the, in the, the, the main room, uh, you know those big steps? 
Yeah. I actually helped make those because I used to work in a carpenter's factory <laughs> like 20, more than 20 years ago. And I actually helped make those steps. Uh, and then oh, wow. on the That's pre-opening night, like I told you on the phone, yeah. I say, um, on the pre-opening night, I played there with uh, three other guys. We had somewhat of like an electronic band with a guitar player. <laughs> It was quite shit, but we played there. So I've played here quite frequently and throughout what did the you, years. What did you play in the band? Uh, we had like a drum and bass act kind of thing. There was one guy who had a, a Roland MC505, the groove yeah. box, and he did like the beats. And me and another guy, another friend of mine, we we would like mix sound effects and just records through it. And then we had two other guys playing bass and guitar. And it was a proper improvised mess. <laughs> <laughs> and it was any good? What? It was any good or uh? no? No, no, no. It was shit. But, yeah. So it was a fun night, but the, our show was really shit. Was shit. Yeah. <laughs> and after that, have you played here many times? Yeah, 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 quite frequently, but not as often as I used to play in the Boulevard, which is the venue I just said, like yeah. my favorite venue, which no longer exists. So I used to play there like really often, like two, three times a month, sometimes for a couple of years in a row. And the mess is like maybe. I'd say maybe like once a year. Once a year. Yeah, if that. And then yeah. what did you play? It depends. Like Martin, who's sitting here, he was the last one to book me here, I think. Was that, was that two years ago? Tribe. Yeah, at, at Tribe at Drum Bass Party. I think that's the last time I played in the mess. And then another friend of mine, Ma uh, another Martin, <laughs> he used to do club bog here in the in the, the small room. And sometimes they'd have like a XL version in the main room. Uh, I played there a couple of times. Uh, I played hip hop nights, uh, all kinds of stuff, and like DJing in between shows sometimes if there were live shows. Uh, okay. Yeah, quite diverse. Okay, and can you, can you tell us more about Breda? Uh, because for people traveling abroad to from abroad to the Netherlands, always go to Amsterdam. Um, what's what's Breda kind of a city? Uh, I don't know, like if it's for, for tourists, I, I, I wouldn't recommend going here. There's not that much to do here. It's really nice to uh, to live because it's so quiet, which makes it nice to live, but also kind of boring to visit, I think. Yeah. Like I would go to Rotterdam uh, if if I, I have to recommend a city for tourists that visit the Netherlands, I, I'd say Rotterdam. Okay. And in a musical way, Breda? Oh, we got two <laughs> two DJs that were voted best DJ in the world come from Breda, innit? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, so, so, yeah. What's the other guy? Hardwell. Hardwell. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, They're from here. And what did it mean for you, musically, Breda? Um, I don't know. Like, I think the music scene in Breda, for the most part, has always been a bit... Um, There's not not so much like underground music, not so much of an underground music scene going on here. There is, but it's tiny. And for example, if you take Tilburg, which is only a couple miles away from here, and it's the same size as Breda, but they got a way, I say, like more rich music history when it comes to underground music than yeah. Breda had. Because they used to have the Incubate Festival, and we have the Mez here, uh, and Tilburg they got 013. Yeah. Which is a way bigger venue, and they got they used to have three rooms there, and especially in the in the small room and in the, the even smaller room called the Bat Cave, their programming was outstanding, like really underground, like 
super cool stuff that would never play in Breda. Uh, but what was the reason then for you always to stay in Breda? Because you could say like not so underground. Well, the Netherlands is tiny, you know, so yeah. and like I said, it's really nice to live because it is kind of quiet. And if you want to go to the pub, there's loads of pubs here to just have a drink with your friends. And, but everything is so close by. If I want to go to Rotterdam, it's 25 minutes. If I want to go to Tilburg, it's literally 12 minutes by train. So yeah. like, why bother moving? Yeah, Antwerp yeah. is close. You're close yeah. to the airport. You can. Yeah, it's know. 50 minutes. Like I get on a train and I'm 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 in Schiphol Airport in 50 minutes. So yeah. like, and how how uh, prices of houses in in uh, in Amsterdam and even in Rotterdam nowadays are outrageous. Yeah, sky so. high at the moment. So I don't, just don't see a point in moving. But there is a creative scene over here. It's like oh, a, big, definitely. a big skateboarding definitely. scene. Well, that, that's a weird thing. The, the big skateboarding scene that. I, I, I'll compare it to uh, Tilburg again. For years, it used to be that there were way more and way better skateboarders in Tilburg than there were in Breda, even though the cities are pretty much the same size. And that has changed now in the last couple of years uh, because of the new skate park that they built here like six, seven years ago. I Pier think 15. Pier 15, yeah. I think that helped a lot. It, suddenly, you saw people from Rotterdam, even Amsterdam, from Tilburg, from from Belgium, France even, Germany, yep. just drive up and down to just skate that park. And that helped a lot, I think. So, and now we've got a really big thriving skate skate scene, skateboarding scene here in Breda as well. Because back in the day, if it would be extremely rare if I would see a skateboarder in the streets and I didn't know him or her. And nowadays it happens all the time. Like I hear people skating past my house yeah. and I look outside and I'm like, man, never seen that mm-hmm. person before. And it's it's different people all the time. Yeah. It's a bit strange because uh, you've got a legendary skate shop, Bonk, mm-hmm. who has, has been here since 20 years, 30 years. Uh, 26. 26? Yeah. No, yeah. 1997. 27 years. Yeah. yeah, I used to go there for my teens to buy skateboards and clothing. So, um, yeah, uh, grown up with Bonk and with Breda and with the skate scene over here. You, you as well? So, what, what, what age did you start skateboarding? 11. 11? Yeah. I guess 10. Yeah, I, I, I got my first, like, toy skateboard when I was 10. And then my first real skateboard, I got it a couple of weeks after my 11th birthday. I still remember that. And you still skate a lot? Yeah, yeah, regularly, yeah. Yeah, and, I try. And I try to go at least once a week. And what's your level? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not for me to judge. Uh, definitely not contest level or anything. But I used to be like shop sponsored by Bonk back in the day, oh. like in the mid late 90s. Yeah, and I did kind of okay. Or? Yeah, I, I did a few contests and I did like kind of okay. If, especially if it were if it was like really local contest, I would do okay. But If it wasn't a national level, then... Okay, but if you want to impress people, what trick do you do? Uh, switch frontside heel flip, I think. <laughs> that's the one, that's the most impressive one I got <laughs> on flat. So. And what's what's the hardest trick? That one. That one. Nah. Um, it's not a safe. It's not a safe trick. Like it always works. No, or? no, 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 not at all. No, that's why it's impressive if it does work. So. <laughs> uh, no, nah, I I don't know. Like the hardest one, I don't know. For me, like I really suck at kickflips, which is like the go-to trick for most anyone after they learn how to do ollies and shovets, they'll, they'll try and learn a kickflip. I fucking hate kickflips, man. <laughs> I, I, I can do them, but they look so stupid when I do them. So. 
<laughs> I don't like that trick, man. Okay. Um, you said uh, you started with skateboarding uh, at your tenth, right? Yeah, yeah tenth, uh, eleven. Yeah. Okay. Um, was this also the moment that you went into music? Uh, well, I've been buying like seven-inch records, and after that, CDs and CD singles from. I don't know. I, I think I started buying seven inches before I started skateboarding from like my pocket money allowance. And I tried to always make like these mixtapes with the double cassette deck, you know? Uh, so I guess my curiosity for music was sparked even before that, but I didn't get like properly get into music until I was 16. That's when I got my first pair of decks. And at eight or nine, what you're saying? Like what kind of music was it back then? Um, well, I think when I was nine, ten years old, hip house was a big thing. Hip house? Hip house. Yeah. I know, like Tony Scott. <laughs> Not my generation, so, so talk us through, please. We have both 40 plus. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was basically when, when house music uh, be, became like proper big in the sense that it would actually reach the, charge, uh, the charts here in Europe. Uh, you, you had this mixture between hip hop and house, which is basically just what it sounds like. It's house with raps on it. And could you name any? Uh, yeah, yeah to, Tony, Tony Scott. We had pretty. Uh, we, we had a couple of really good hip house yeah. MCs producing the yeah. Netherlands actually. Tony Scott, King B. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, Tyree Ooh. Cooper, which is I think Chicago. Yes. Yeah, so he's one of the original ones. Uh, um, Dog Lazy. Uh, you had, of course, like the Jungle Brothers, which were known for their part of that same native tongue family as uh, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, like like proper legit hip hop. Yeah. But they did quite a lot of hip house as well. Okay. Um, and then uh, Only on Love. Onto your uh, 16th. Uh, what kind of music was it then? Gabba. Gabba. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and UK breakbeat hardcore. And how did this start? Like DJing already or? Uh, classmates. Like, okay. I I used to be. Because I was a skater and skateboarders and gabbers at the time that's were arch enemies. No, that's the, the, they were arch. That's how we didn't see gabber gabber yeah, yeah. on skateboards. No, nah. no. So they were like basically arch rivals, and uh, so I was kind of like not allowed to listen to, especially hardcore. But uh, they're, or not they're, allowed to skate. No, nah, no. But I skated before yeah, I started okay. listening to gabber, so that was not an option yeah. for me to stop skating. Yeah, I think most skaters. At least the people that I knew weren't really listening to electronic music. They were all listening to punk rock and hip-hop for the most part and like indie rock, stuff like that. Um, so, uh, and then, so for years I didn't listen to that because I wasn't supposed to, kind of. Yeah. Which sounds really sad, but when, when you're a teenager, you know. Yeah, it's just pressure, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like peer pressure from the skaters. Yeah. And, and then I had a falling out with one of my best mates who was the only other skater in my school and in my class as well. And he went to a different school. And then I, I had a couple of other classmates who he was hanging out with a lot as well, who were really into Gabba. And a few of them were already uh, mixing at yeah. home. They weren't really doing gigs. There was one older guy who was already doing gigs and throwing nights uh, in, in little towns surrounding, uh, in, in the surrounding area, so you say. Chesto or Hardwell? Mm -mm, no, 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 no. Hardwell's a lot younger than me. Okay, yeah. But but, but do you have a name? Like, is he? Uh, well no, he, now no, or, he, um, lived, uh, he lives. Uh, he's been living in the UK for ages now. Uh, okay. He did um, produce quite a lot of records on uh, Trashcan Records and on Baby Boom. Baby Boom is from The Hague. 
Gabba label. Gizmo's label? No. No, I don't think it was his label, but it was all like he had the Dwarf Records, Combined okay. Forces, Baby Boom, Hard Stuff. That was all The Hague. And Gizmo was The Hague. So he was closely affiliated, but I don't think he was the owner okay. of it. I'm not sure though, but. Um, um, but he used to produce with this other guy, and uh, one of their names was Enfusia on Trashcan. Um, and I, they did records as Boombastic as well on Baby Boom. So if people want to look that up, <laughs> that, that's one of the guys that yeah, taught me yeah, how to yeah. DJ as well. And then I had a couple of classmates who were really into it. And I don't know, I, as soon as I had that falling out with the skateboarder mate of mine, I was like, well, I, I don't know. I've been saying that I don't like this music for so long because I actually do really like it. And I got really into it. And then one of them taught me how to beat match, how to mix. And I was like hooked right away. And I convinced my parents to get me the shittiest, cheapest belt drive turntables like a week after. First so. just one or? Uh, no, 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 two. No, right I knew two. I needed two <laughs> and I got the very cheapest. That Tunesville. Tunesville, yeah. Which yeah. is like legendary, Breda Breda legendary record shop, record which store. unfortunately closed its doors yeah. last year. So, um, and I, I got the cheapest, I think it was like the Sound Lab uh, belt drive turntables. And a couple doors down the road, there was an electronics shop and they had a really cheap Electo mixer. It didn't even have any EQ on it. It's just like five faders and that's it. Yeah. And, and, and raves? When did you start going to raves? Same time. Same yeah. time. Yeah. And, and uh, because I, at that time you had a thriving uh, rave scene in Belgium, just across the border. Did you go to clubs like Club X? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to say that's like the only the only things in Belgium that I ever went to is Club X because in the town where I, not the one that I grew up in, but the one that I went to school and ended up living in for five years called Oudenbosch, which is quite close yeah. to where that. Uh, there was quite a few people there who worked at Club X for some yeah. reason. So I would sometimes go there and the only other thing I think that I went around that time in Belgium was uh, Thunderdome. Like, in Antwerp? Uh, yeah, in Antwerp, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah, because like for the younger listeners... Um, well, they'll probably well. know Thunderdome, but they won't know Club <laughs> X. Yeah, Club, yeah, X was a legendary Club, Club X is like one of the legendary Gabba yeah. clubs because yeah. it started okay. like more or less uh, with Park 6. Park 6 in yeah, Rotterdam is, uh, yeah. is it, well, Park 6 kind of precedes Club X. Yeah. So that's kind of why it started. And they had to shut their doors at a certain time. Uh, I don't know why. There was always a lot of fighting going on there, I think. Yeah. I heard a lot of shady stories about Park 6, but I never went there. But that was in Rotterdam in, in South. Uh, unfortunately, never, never been there. Uh, and then you also had Club X in Belgium, right across the border from the Netherlands. and. Uh, that yeah. is another uh, like legendary Gabba club. And what age are we talking now? I was 16. You were 16. Yeah, and it was a weird thing because I really, I'm really small for my age. So, yeah. And and I look when I was 16, I looked like I was 13. So I was tiny and like a little baby face and baggy clothes. So I looked even smaller than I was. It's but a miracle. You, you, you but I never, I, I never ever had any problems going into clubs like Club X or going to Thunderdome, Hellraiser, Hellbound, like all those big all night uh, hardcore race. I never had any problems getting into there, but if I wanted to go out here in Breda, they would, they would card me, like, where's your ID? Can you show me your passport? And that was even when I was like 19, and yet these shitty venues here, the Rambos, <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Yeah, you had to be 16 to get in there. And I was 19, I remember that one time. And, and the, the bouncer carded me. He's like, why are, you ki- why are you kidding me, man? I'm three years older than I have to be. He's like, go, go get your passport then, man. Like, yeah, that's right. strange. And then being allowed in a rough... Yeah, that was, that was so weird. And yeah, I, I didn't I didn't even want to go to the, the to those shitty venues here, but all my friends were there, you know, so... So, uh, Joel, uh, talking about the Gabber period in your life, experiencing everything for the first time, going to raves, going to dodgy clubs, rough areas, what, what really stands out for you? If you think about that period, what's your, what do you think of? Excitement. And it was a bit intimidating as well. Because, um, to be fair, in the Netherlands, uh, the, the Gabba scene, around the time when I started going to those nights, it started to become more and more racist. You know how back in the day all the gabbers were just wearing like a Levi's trousers, jeans and Australian jacket. That was like the gabba uniform at Nike Air Max and it started switching more and more to like combat gear, you know, like combat boots and bomber jackets with the Dutch flag sewn yeah, onto yeah. it. And uh, and it was like this and, weird... And fo- a football rivalry? Uh, uh, no, no, I, ne- I never noticed no? that much of football rivalry. The only time I saw anything like that, but I didn't I didn't go uh, on a weekly basis, you know. I would go, only go to those kind of raids like every couple months because I spent most of my money on uh, like buying records. So uh, I, I usually didn't have that much money to go uh, partying every weekend. I didn't do that. So. Uh, the only time I saw something like that was at Hellraiser in uh, Amsterdam. But there was one guy who was wearing a Rotterdam Records t-shirt or like Force Records, something affiliated with Rotterdam. Uh, in, in the queue outside of the... No, no, not in the queue. Was uh, in, per- inside. I had the same experience as some, some guy with a uh, uh, Rotterdam Terror Corps shirt got beat it up. Like. In Amsterdam? Yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. Like, well, what are you thinking? You don't go to you don't go to the Kuip with an Ajax shirt on. <laughs> or maybe you do if, if they're playing there, but like... Yeah, what are, you, what are you thinking? And it was a guy with a Rotterdam Records t-shirt on, I think, or fours, and yeah. they just... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they all just jumped on Well, not, not really jumped on him, but like they pulled his shirt off, and then six guys were tearing oh, that man. shirt into pieces. Like, it's actually ooh. not even allowed anymore, right? But At festivals to wear like football, football jerseys. Yeah. No, but it wasn't no, football gear. No, it, was, it, was, it was a record label. Yeah, ah, yeah, it was yeah, even a record like, label. It, it, yeah, <laughs> no, it was a record Rotterdam, a few labels. You had Rotterdam Terracorps, Rotterdam Records. And it was a big rivalry between Amsterdam and Rotterdam. Well, so that still if is. you would wear uh, to a big rave in Amsterdam... Yeah, you can uh, go to a Nightmare in Rotterdam yeah, with, uh, with a Mokum t-shirt yeah, or the other yeah, way around, no, like with a no, Rotterdam Records but t-shirt. But DJs played, like DJ Rob was legendary yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, DJ yeah, from Parkzicht, yeah. played at, uh, at Hellraiser and vice versa. Like Dano and Buzzfuss, the kind of DJs played in Rotterdam. Bravo was one of my favorite back then. Yeah. He was a bit underrated and he started playing hardstyle after that, which I never liked. But when he was still playing hardcore, I really like Pavel, man. He was really Why? good DJ. It's really fast, high BPM. So no, no, not no. really. Pavel? No? No. No? Okay. no, no. And he went way slower. He, went, he became a hard style DJ soon after that. Oh. No, no. No, he played like... Uh, uh, Dano. Dano was weird. Really, oh, Dano. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that was like around that time, I think. You, you're probably talking about the documentary or not? Because uh, there's a it, yeah. yeah, but that was like a weird era in like '93, '94 when everyone was going trying to go as fast and as hard as possible. Yeah, and a year later that was all and, um, and dealt with. And for how long did it last for you, like this gap period? Yeah, uh, I it feel it felt like ages at the time, but it was probably only like two, three years before I got bored with it. 
with it. Um, yeah, because I think I started DJing in 95 and by 98 I was already going to squat parties. Okay. So it was probably only a little over two years, like three years maximum, I think. I was actually DJing. I, I, I never stopped playing that kind of stuff. I still produce that kind of hardcore uh, to this day. I, I still always listen to it, but if you're talking about my main focus, that had shifted to like jungle drum and bass and techno, and techno what? with a K. So not like techno, no, but, techno with a K. but squat party techno. And was it already by the name Coco Bryce then? Or? No, 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 no. Which names are we talking about? Because um, I think when you I have started, quite it was some signed. names, right? Yeah. When, I, when I started out, it was Sign, DJ Sign, yeah. S-C-I-N-E. Uh, I even did one release under that name years later. And then I changed when I, when I started going to squat parties and doing the the acid techno kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I changed my name to DJY because my name starts with a Y, Joel. So it was just DJY. And I still use that name nowadays for all the 4x4 hardcore stuff. Hardcore yeah. stuff. Okay. Yep. And squat parties were all around the Netherlands, also yeah. abroad? Sorry, but what are squat oh, parties? <laughs> Not everybody knows what squat parties are. Uh, yeah. They're basically like illegal raves. Uh, illegal raves, okay. Yeah, you know what a squat is? Yeah, I know yeah. what a squat is. Well, yeah, a party yeah. a squat. That's what it is. Big scene over here in Holland. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't big, but it was like uh, they were. It was really dedicated. But the the hardcore of the scene that we would see every week was only like two, three hundred people maximum. Okay. But you would see those people every single weekend, no matter where the party was, because uh, one week it would be in the Hague, and then the next week it would be somewhere near Utrecht or Amsterdam, Eindhoven, even deep down south, like everywhere. And did you organize them as well? Um, yeah, I ran with a crew uh, called ZMK for a while, who, um, we yeah, we threw quite, quite a few squat parties, but I was always a bit, like, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I was actually organizing them. I was part of the crew, but I was only interested in DJing, you know? So, um, I didn't really help that much. <laughs> I just uh, carried a couple You weren't standing at the yeah. entrance, but just DJing. Yeah, well, I, I would, and I would actually work bar shifts every now and then as well, okay. but um, yeah, you know, like some people are more interested in this and others are more interested in that, and I didn't really, I never really cared for promoting, for organizing that much, it stresses me out, so I just want to play still to this day. That was a close community. Like every, it was a tight, it was a tight, traveling around it was a tight knit community, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you always see, like, depending on where it was, you... Um, let's say if it was like a big rave, there would be like 700 people and two or 300 of those were people that you'd see every weekend, like the hardcore of the, the squat party people. And then the rest of the crowd would be people from the town or the city where the party happened to be and they caught wind of it, you know, like people going out and 2 a.m. a lot of venues close and they're like oh there's an illegal rave going on just outside the town let's go there yeah. and those people would show up like a little later and they would usually go back home quite soon as well and we would stay until either we were done or the police would come and they still yeah. have friends from that period yeah yeah of course yeah 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 and is, is there still a squat Scene. I don't know. I've, I've, I haven't been to like a legit squat party in ages, but um, as far as I know, from what I've heard, nowadays it's not really possible anymore because they do try and throw squat uh, squat parties, but 
Most of the times the police will show up like really early, like 2am and just roll up and just tell everyone to fuck off. And when did the, the Coco Bryce name uh, popped up? Um, well, I, I got the name from, uh, from a movie, uh, which is uh, after uh, Irvin Welsh book you know Irvin Welsh he also uh, wrote Train Spotting and he wrote another book called The Asset House and it was a movie and one of the characters which is the same guy that plays Spot in Train Spotting you and Bremner he plays a football hooligan uh, who gets his soul switched with a newborn baby in a thunderstorm (laughs) pretty logical yeah yeah, he's like outside like with his girlfriend and there's a thunderstorm and at the same time a baby is born and lightning strikes and they switch souls so, and you were feeling connected to that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, baby, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. matter. He's either one. So. But anyway, so uh, his name is Coco Bryce. And I always thought, like, that, that sounds really good, man. And then I used to DJ in a band for a bit. Um, and we had our first gig at the jazz festival here in Breda, which I think it was like, must have been like 2008, something like that. 2009, no, 2008 probably. Um, and we didn't have a name yet, so we desperately needed a name. And I said, Coco Bryce. And all the band members were like, yeah, that actually has a good ring to it. And we need a name now. So that's what we went with. And then after that first show, the, the band just dissolved. So what I kind like, of music did, you, did the band play? Hip hop. Hip hop. Yeah, okay. kind of like funky hip hop. Yeah. Otherwise, had, uh, on a jazz festival playing techno with a K is not No, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. We had two MCs. We had a bass player, drummer. And I did like um, samples on the sampler and a bit of scratching and a guitar player. I think we didn't have anyone on keys. No, I don't think. <laughs> Who was <Yeah>. this guy? <laughs> no, so, no, it was like a proper band setup. Uh, like a hip hop band, so to say. Cool, and then you continued with the name Coco Brothers. Yeah, I figured, like, jungle. why not? And I started making different music than. Because as, under that DJ Y Monica, I was mostly doing like hardcore and bit of breakbeat but most like harder styles of music and by that time I had started producing more and more like down tempo stuff like hip-hop squee that kind of music so I feel like oh I need a new moniker uh, I'll just run with this one so all the alter egos you have which ones do you all still use like Chavinsky yes yeah. that's a recent one a recent one so yeah. it's more for your garage um, well, shop. yeah, yeah. Well, I that, that's how I started. The first few records I did were garage, but that's not what I meant. It, it's basically for anything like 130. Okay. So I've also done well, like 130, 140, like the slower stuff. Mm. So I've done some disco-y, housey kind of tunes and a bunch of garage two-step tunes. But I'm, I've also got some slower breakbeat bits that I'm probably gonna release as Chavinsky. Yeah. Okay, so what what all the egos gonna will proceed like you've got ill behavior DJY, Kokoina, Chavinsky, Coco Bryce and more what are the and the aesthetics the, what the aesthetics oh yeah yeah the aesthetics yeah. is that all that's not active alive? anymore no not really I did like the, the aesthetics is more like uh, hip hop instrumentals which I used I only used that name I think two or three times um but ill behavior, that's like, I don't know who, you're probably looking at my Discogs page, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, that's on your Discogs. So that's not really, uh, that's not completely correct, because for some reason someone listed me as ill behavior, but ill behavior is a label which I run, 
uh, which releases bootlegs, like uh-huh. really cheeky bootlegs. That's why it's called ill behavior. So this, this and there's no info on that. It just says ill 001, 002, uh-huh. and there's no track or artist info on that. And I can, I understand why, but it's it's not true. Like someone assumed that everything was made by me, which it isn't. So that's why it's stated as a producer name, which is it's just not correct because it's supposed to be okay. like unknown artist. We will send Discogs an email. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. I, 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 I can't be asked, like, asked to, to, to change that, man. Like, yeah, otherwise, in every so, podcast, and it's, they anyways, ask the same it, it's, it's not a producer name, it's, it's, a, a, label. it's a label name, yeah. and it is not all me on that label. And there's more to come. No, I'm not going to say that. No. No. No, they don't want me to say that. <laughs> not too much names. <laughs> no, 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 because I don't know. Like, I, 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 I personally couldn't be asked. That yeah. I, I don't give a shit if, yeah. if it's me. I'll, I'll say it is me. Yeah. You know, like I'm not that secretive about that kind of stuff. But the the, the people that have sent me tunes that I've released and I'm gonna release, they're like, nah, I don't want them to know that it's me. Maybe okay. it's still Chesto. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I got some good hardcore records by Chester, man. On yeah, Trashcan. did you? Okay, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Acid stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. I even bought one of his records on Trashcan just like last year, two years ago, because I didn't have it in my collection yet, and I liked it so much. So. He used to play in a club here in Breda, in in a basement club, and he used to play just proper good house and techno. In the basement club? Which one? Uh, uh, below Chambers. Oh, it's not a basement. This was a basement or not? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's I remember there. it as a basement. <laughs> no, it, it looks like a basement. It's the same floor as a garage. Oh, it's the same floor. Yeah, and then the other one oh. is on top. Is that's the first story one? Uh, okay. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Santiago. There used oh. to be like uh, second floor. Okay, okay, this is this is proper uh, Breda information. This is, this is the every, every end of nine nineties. <laughs> Sorry, oh, yeah, mid nineties, man. Mid nineties. Oh, that's, that's a long time ago. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, but everyone used to play there. I think uh, Cole Feynman used to play yeah. there. Um, what's the other guy, Tinman? There was, a, there was a whole bunch of them. Their whole crew that ended up hanging out at the Magic at that record store that Chester ran. Yeah. Uh, or I don't know if he ran it, but and so, uh, that, I think that whole crew used to play at the Spock. Yeah, at uh, Spock, that was it. Yeah. Uh, so going going back to sidestep again, Breda, <laughs> rich musical city. But uh, all your alter egos, what's well, how do you work? It's like uh, you you get up in the morning and then it's it's a DJY day, it's a Chavinsky day, or it's a Coco Bryce day. What's what kind of day is it? I don't know. No, this, I don't know beforehand, man. You just start. Yeah, usually, yeah, yeah. And then you label it afterwards. Yeah, and sometimes I have tracks which I that. Uh, I have a whole bunch of tracks now, which I don't even know under what name I'm gonna release it. It also depends on like so, so sometimes I'll think like oh, I'm gonna release this as a Coco Rice tune, but then it'll fit better on a release that has a couple more DJ Y tunes on there, something like that. Or it also depends on the construction of the way it's released, like the EP, so to say, or album. So sometimes I'll change the name later on. I'll have something in mind and then switch it. Sometimes I don't even think about it. I don't know. So it can be a mixture between DJY and Coco Bryce and then, yeah. Well, yeah, well, I'm actually hoping for it to be at a certain point to be able to have everything mesh together. Yeah, no, some I mean. tracks, there is a, some Coco Bryce tracks have a DJY kick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have some four to the floor stuff as, um, as Coco Bryce as well. Yeah, yeah, true. 
do you produce a lot actually yeah. um a lot a lot a lot a lot yeah like there's a lot in the uh pipelines already there yeah yeah day and night oh well i i was up until 3 3 a.m 3 30 last night because i just gotten uh, uh i haven't produced anything on hardware in ages like i I used to do some techno stuff on hardware back in the day, but I got rid of most of my synths and drum computers years ago. And then there was one setup that I always wanted, which was like the Roland 303 and 606. And now Beringer made these cheap clones. So I ordered those earlier this week and I got them. I got my box yesterday. So I just hooked everything up and I was just doing straight asset, like hardcore asset for hours on end. So that's why I didn't go to sleep until quite late last night. Do you have, do you have night. neighbors? Yeah, no, well, that's that, that's the good thing about my uh, my flat is um, I only have uh, I only have downstairs neighbors, like one apartment, like below oh. me. I don't have any neighbors on on my sides because I'm the the what do you say that my flat is a like one story higher than all the other uh, apartment buildings yeah. around me. So and your and they're like really neighbor? they're really they're really loud neighbors as well. They're like fighting nonstop. <laughs> like I'll hear them screaming at each other. Literally, even during lockdown when 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 we had the curfew, when we had like the 10 p.m. curfew, and they're screaming at each other from and and going outside and screaming at the window at like 2 a.m. So they they've uh, I'll knock on wood. They've never complained so far uh, because I never complained about them either. They're loud. They're loud as fuck. So, so but music is your. Yeah, I don't want to talk about job, but you, yeah. you make my a living out of it. Yeah. So does it feel like a job, or is it just you and your Sometimes, hobby, and that makes money? No. Um, most of the times, it just feels like a joke. Like oh man, I used to do this. I used to work a job and do what? this for fun. So most of the times, it so feels what like was your joke, job. What, what I used to be a courier. And a carpenter here in Mess. So well, was... not in Mess, but I worked in a carpenter's factory. But that okay. was only for like two years. Okay. And I, been, I, I was a courier for a long time, for 10, 15 years. Okay. Um, so yeah, but the, the only times it feels like a job is um, um, when I have to write invoices and do tech shit. And um, I also sell records on Bandcamp, which I pack and ship myself. So. Whenever I have a couple of new releases, I'm usually just packing orders for a couple of days in a row, and that definitely feels like a job. <laughs> so, uh, but that's actual manual labor, labor. You know, there's no creativity in packing orders. So. There's also always an administration side of, uh, of yeah, music. Yeah, I, I don't so. even mind the packing orders um, uh, part that much. Like, I usually kind of enjoy it, but may, writing up invoices and and just emailing everyone and shit. I, I I really don't like that. That definitely feels like a job. And I've had like remix jobs where I was like, I really don't know what the hell to do with this tune, which kind of felt like I was just editing drums. Like, okay, do this again. Example or no, well, no names. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because that. No, but no, it's it's not about no names with that one. It's more like I I don't know if the top off the top of my head which ones that were. So. Um, yeah, but so, sometimes that, that that can feel like a job, but that's a bit. Like, I don't know. I think that keeps me sharp to to know that, like, watch out that the creative part doesn't start to feel like a job because then you're shooting yourself in the foot. I think. And uh, is crate digging as a part of your job? 
because every week you post on Instagram clips of records you've bought. Is that also by crate digging a source of inspiration for you? Yeah, the, um, the crate digging is mostly digital nowadays, you know, it's like uh, on Discogs. I'll, I, I've got a wants list um, and every now and then I'll go on Discogs and see if there's a seller that has multiple items from my want list. And then I'll just go and click the whole collection that they have for sale and start clicking random stuff that I don't know yet. And so it's like basically like digital crate yeah. digging, you know, like checking. A lot of releases have YouTube videos with them nowadays. So you can just go, especially through the cheapies, there's so much 92, 93, 1992, 93 stuff that I've never heard before and that's really cheap and really good. So I'll just go through the YouTube videos and try and find records that I don't know yet. And whenever I go to London in particular, I got a couple of friends there who are record traders as well. And I often stay at their place, uh, Distant Planet. Um, and just, they always let me just spend oh, two evenings in a row just digging through their records, all the stuff they have for sale. Um, so you, meant, you, you mentioned um, crate digging, looking for records from the beginning of the 90s. It's like when I listen to your music, what which moniker you use but from heart i hear around beginning 90s music that's that's your mm -hmm. that's your source of inspiration that's the you're looking yeah for? i guess i guess that's uh, that's the period where, where i really is, i don't know it just it speaks to me for some reason the ravey it has a certain like innocent charm to it you know it's not as serious as the um, even even when you had like really hard gabber from 1995, it's still nowhere as near nearly as serious as the hardcore that's being produced now, because nowadays it's like the same. It's kind of the same as the, the root drum and bass went. It it was it was more, and not to piss on drum and bass, but it started to become more about mix downs and certain sounds and shaping. I don't know, like then then about the creativity of it. And this in, in my opinion, at least, and that's 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 why I think a lot of the hardcore nowadays is it, they, they're taking themselves too seriously, in my opinion. Uh, and this ninety sound, um, how do you approach this in your own uh, productions? How do you mean? Um, like this ninety sound, that's what you like. Yeah. This innocence that's in there. How do you do this in your own productions? How do you? Uh, By using samples from that era, I guess. And I don't know, like the way I produce, I produce in a very, very simple, straightforward way. I bear, I don't use that many effects. I, I've i been using Ableton for 15 years and I'm pretty sure I don't even know a tenth of its possibilities. So I worked straight, very basic and straightforward. And I guess in the 90s, there wasn't uh, that many options for the equipment yet. So I, I guess it translates in that way. Yeah. I don't know. And it just, I just I, I just produce and try to make it sound the way I want it to sound, and that often has a '90s ring to it. Yeah, just not most, too most of the times it's not even yeah. not even on purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. What do you add to the '90s? What's a typical Coco Bryce? That's not one by one exactly the track from 1991, but what is the Coco Bryce addition to? Ah, that's not that's not for me to answer, is it? You should ask people that, that listen to my music, not me. So, I don't know. 
hopefully something because I don't want my stuff to sound like just throwback jams, you know. Yeah. As in, just like a, a copy of uh, yeah, no, there's there's a lot there's a lot of people out there that will try to that put a lot of effort into making it sound like it could be a lost tape from 1992. Yeah, you know what I mean, and. There, there, there's, that's fun. I've, I've done that as well, and not to sound cocky or anything. I don't mean it like that, but I'm, I'm not interested in that. I will do that every now and then, but most of the times I'm not interested in making it sound like a lost debt tape from 1993 or anything. Uh, uh, and as uh, we're sitting here, as uh, curated by mm -hmm. um, Coco Bryce is our. I can say the most popular uh, uh, alter ego you have. Mm. Um, I think I know you now for about two years, um, mm. so quite new in the drum and bass scene. Um, how do you see this? Do you think you're like a new guy in drum and bass for a lot of people? Or? I don't think I'm part of drum and bass at all, to be fair. Okay, but how would you say then? You're like more in the jungle kind of yeah. thing? or? Um, um, yeah, well, I've only been been, been like... I've been producing for a long time, but I've only been properly producing Jungle and releasing it for five, six years now. So that's relatively new, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then again, at the same time, that that already shows that this new wave of Jungle has already been going on for like seven, eight years, like steadily, and been quite popular for five years, which is way longer than the initial run of Jungle. Because initially it started in... I guess by 93 in London they and in England they started like really calling it jungle and by 1995 96 it was already being called drum and bass more and more so that initial run of jungle music was only like two three years tops and it's been good that, that this this new or you could call it revival for lack of a better description but it's been going on for like at least six seven years now and what do you expect from this like It was I a hope couple it stays, of man. Yeah. I hope it stays. Because, like, there's so much to, to still to do because you can go... You can do anything with rhythms, man, which is which a lot of music lacks that aspect of being to being able to mess around with the rhythms as much as you can in, in jungle. So um, I think there's still, like, loads to explore. If, if, if I see how long styles like drum and bass proper or techno or house which are all quite straightforward how long they've been around and how popular they are and and people still want to listen to new techno new house new drum and bass so i'm hoping that the jungle will stay stick around for a while and it seems kind of like it's finally um carved out a place for itself whereas it's not uh, necessary for it to to morph into something new again yeah. i hope it i hope it evolves within the music but like back in the day it just it just changed from jungle it split into uh it, it basically went into drum and bass uh and yet like a couple jungle producers that started making garage uh and how, how do you see it in the, these days like how your jungle is working in uh, in the uk Very well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least for me, like I don't know on a bigger scale compa in comparison to other types of music, but for me personally, the UK is is where it's at. It's where I had 90, 80, 90% of my gigs. It's where the vast majority of my records are sold is in the UK. And most of the labels that I've released on, uh, besides my own labels, um, uh, were UK based labels. So 
As far as uh, when we're talking about jungle days. Yeah. yeah. Popularity in over here is, is gaining at the moment. So. Yeah, actually, um, I saw that on Spotify. That was really funny because I never used Spotify myself, but um, I wanted to change some stuff on my account. Um, so I got this Spotify for Artists app. And then you get all these insights into yeah. like the cities where uh, your tunes are be are most played in countries, and I was actually su- quite quite surprised to see Amsterdam up in there quite high. That oh okay that's nice. There's some by far most of it were cities in the UK like London, Bristol, Birmingham, Manchester, I think. Um, but there was quite a few uh, cities in in America, Netherlands, and stuff in there as well. So. So, so in, in the UK, it's a separate jungle scene and a separate drum and bass scene? I don't know, no, I, I, have, I, have, I have been booked uh, on, on a fair few drum and bass nights as well, like uh, when I started first started gigging there. But most of the times, um, I would say it's kind of separate, separated, yeah, I think. Um, That's different compared to, to over here in the Netherlands, it's just... Everybody thinks it's one scene. Yeah, but it isn't. For, for but, me, but, it's, but, like, for, it's, it's just part of your dr- jungle drum and bass, yeah, whatever. It's for me. Yeah, but for years thing. there was no jungle scene. Like no, no one was producing jungle, or but they were, but like it was barely anyone was releasing it on vinyl because it just wasn't worth releasing on vinyl because you would just end up not even breaking even. You know, yeah. uh, it, it would sell for it wouldn't sell for shit for years. Uh, but, but how did it start again here in Holland? Uh, and like a, a lot of house techno people are now in, and DJs are now into Lo- I, label, jungle. La- labels like, there's labels like Lobster Theorem and, and stuff like that. They started releasing more and more EPs with really diverse track listings on there, where they'd have like two house tunes on there, one electro track and a jungly kind of tune. And I think that's how a lot of those people that would normally not have listened to it, got to know it. I think, for example, Machine Drum yeah. has a lot, the, the producer has yeah. a lot to do with it because he, when Footwork and Juke became a thing uh, through Edison Groove, uh, yeah. uh, uh, some 10 years ago, and then Machine Drum started mixing Jungle and Footwork. And of course, like being on big labels like Ninja Tune and Planet Moo, you already have like a pretty big following. So I think he made that popular as well. Uh, and I think I said this in other interviews as well, where I think is um, how I see a lot of really, really younger people who are, who are now like 18, 19, or even younger, they grew up on a diet of trap music. And to me, like, there's so many people my age that fucking hate trap, but I love it. And I see so many similarities between trap and jungle. It's got like the booming 808 yeah. bass. It's got crazy um, syncopated drums lots of snare rules so and and a lot of trap is like a similar tempo it has this sad boyish kind of vibe a lot of the time so, so for, I see, for, the, I see, for the youngsters there's a logical progression they, they're used to they're used to like these weird listening to these weird syncopated drums with snare rules and shit like that and i think a lot of people our generation or people that are in their 30s right now they grew up on as I'm, I'm talking about mainland Europe now, not, yeah. not so much about no, the UK. Because in the UK, they just grow up on broken beats yeah. from day one. It's just and over here is four to four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of people uh, that are like in their 30s, maybe late 20s, our age now, they're not that used to it. 
as the younger generation is. Yeah, because I'm, like we are both. Uh, I, 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 I've said this a couple of times. I've never had my point proven, but I'm still convinced no, like, that it has when, to do. With when, it. like, when around 90, 20, 21, when I went out, it was always a, a lot of parties had techno room, drama bass, jungle room, like Night Town in Rotterdam, which is a well-known club from. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, that's ago. where I went to my first jungle night. It was in the yeah. basement of Night Town. In, in the basement in yeah. Night Town, in the main room they had house, and they had in the theater they had uh, they had techno, whatever. But it was. But those are separate nights, though. It wasn't like he bought a ticket and yeah. and. Yeah, it was. Was yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, I only went to the ones where, like, in ninety. I'm talking ninety-five now. Yeah, I've been there. Uh, a lot of Saturday nights. Went there, uh, walking through the club. To oh, really? Three rooms. Oh, I've only been to the Jungle Fever yeah, ones where, so, so where it was a, sep- a separate night, and I wasn't. I I couldn't go upstairs. I just had the ticket okay. for the basement. So the regular Saturday night was there. Like people went there and and experienced multiple whole, times of the the music. Well, and it was nowadays, like that on Sunday you go to a well. techno festival and you only have techno and you go to a drum that's and bass changing, festival but that's ch- it, you have only drum and bass. Well, it has been like that for like 20 years now, but the past few years, like except for lockdown, of course, that was changing. If you look at like a festival like Deckmantel, yeah. there's like everything. They even had like a girl from San Francisco playing psych rock records and just like <laughs> yeah. selecting that and people playing Iranian pop from the 70s uh, just to name something you know it was like all over the place so that is finally changing so I think it's changing all across the board man it's, it's becoming more like the early 90s again where pretty it's much anything goes finally. as long as it's good and it's not as seg- uh, what do you call it like segregated as it has been for 20 years Which and I think I, it's I, great right I love it man yeah. like but even I Jungle is my main thing right now, but I, I don't even like going to uh, Jungle All Nighter, where it's just Jungle, nah, thanks man, nah, that's not for me either. I want I want to hear like a variety of music. So. Yeah. I'm thinking now of the, the the short questions we had in the beginning. Um, the anecdote. You were ma- the, the anecdote, you were mentioning this uh, stranger thing to ever happen during a set. Yeah. Maybe it's a good moment now. Well, it was a friend of mine, uh, Stefan uh, ZMK, he's also part of our sound system back in the day. Um, um, so we were at uh, Technoval, which is basically like an illegal techno uh, squat party festival, but like outdoors, you know, it's just some people find a field somewhere or yeah. like a disused air ba- uh, uh, army airbase or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. And people from all over Europe drive their vans there and just plonk their sound systems there. And we were in the Czech Republic. Uh, I think this is like in 2000, 2001, I'm not sure. And uh, Stefan was playing a set and there was this guy from, he was either French or Czech, I'm not sure, but he spoke like really fucked up English. So at first Stefan didn't understand what he was saying, but after he was done playing, the guy, the guy kept bugging him like to look in his record trade. And when, when he had finally made his point in broken English and Stefan finally, finally understood what the guy meant, it boiled down to him saying like, you played such a good set. You got so many good records. You can, you can spare at least one. Give me one of your records. He's <laughs> like, you got so many good ones. You can, you can spare one. I was like, what's the logic? What's the logic behind this, man? 
I mean, it's not it's not like shocking weird, but to me, I was like, did he give a record? No, fuck no, hell no, no hell no, no fuck that. What is, no man, no, but a lot of weird shit used to happen at squat parties, man. They used to, I've seen shootings in Rotterdam and shit like that. Shootings. Yeah, 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 like proper shootings with like a sawn-off shotgun, which turned out to be blanks, but like it was like legit. Uh, Yeah, that was scary. And uh, the girl, the girl I was with at the time, she actually ran towards a guy like, "No, don't do that!" Like, no, 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 you no, don't, don't do, do that. that. What, are you, what are you doing? But yeah. Well, then it's better to ask for a spare record, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah take that one. So, Joel, the present and the future. Um, you've got your own label, Mior. Uh, do I pronounce it? Good, Mior. Mior, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, That's actually sorry. correct. Yeah, yeah, most people say Mior, but it's pronounced Mior. Mior. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so you've released a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of different kinds of music on the label. So what are what are the plans for the coming year years? Uh, I actually got five labels. So I got uh, Mior. I got the sub the jungle sub label Mior Massive, and another one called Diamond Life. And then I have Ill Behavior, and which is all the bootlegs which is mostly jungle as well. And then I got Faces of Bass, which is all four to the floor hardcore, like in its various forms. It's like jungle techno, hardcore acid, GABA, anything that's four by four. Wow, <laughs> so that's a lot. So is the focus, is the focus on Mior or it does, it's the same as producing, it doesn't matter what um, outlet you use? I don't really have a focus on anything, but I think uh, uh, the par- in the past two years, the label that I've released the most records on is actually Ill Behavior. I've released six, number six now, and I think I've only been doing it for like a year and a half, that label. So without intending to, that has actually become kind of like the one I've released the most on. Yeah, don't think of it. And uh, the main one, Mior, That was kind of like dormant for quite a while. I didn't really release that much on it. I think like one digi EP and the cassette. But I finally released another record, another record on Mio proper again late last year. What a Chavinsky 12 inch, like a garage ravey, garage kind of. And uh, specifically, Coco Bryce, what are the plans with that in releasing stuff or co- collaborations? Um. Let's see. I got one collaboration coming up with Tim Reaper on his future retro label. Uh, I've been doing a lot of remixes lately um, for all kinds of different people. Um, then, as far as my own releases, I've got an EP coming up on Lobster Theremin, a new one. Sick. I got another EP on Lobster Theremin, which is a collab with uh, a girl from uh, Berlin, who's actually from London, Amy Dabbs. Then I got a new EP coming up on Critical as well. I got an EP on Fresh 86 coming up and a full, which is going to be a bit of a hybrid. The one on Fresh 86 has got two jungly drum and bassish kind of tunes and two down tempo tracks on there. And I'm also going to do another full album on Fresh 86, but it's not going to be jungle. It's it's strictly, it's going to be a double LP with strictly down tempo stuff. And now we're talking just about uh, Coco Bryce. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then. I had a list at home. I, I was asked <laughs> last last week. I was asked the same question as well. I have a I have a list, and it was like including all the remixes and everything. Um, there's supposed to be 20 to 25 records coming out this year. Okay, so you've been uh, productive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I work I work really fast. If I get a groove going, I usually but like I rarely spend more than two days on a tune. Like 
I work really minimal with as few layers as possible and I just don't like working on tracks for too long. So and you mentioned you don't you don't really fit in the drum and bass scene, but now you're releasing more on strictly drum I'm and not, bass. I'm not, I'm not sure if I don't fit. That's not really for me again, that's not for me to we judge. Think you but fit, I, I, you just, fit, but <laughs> I just don't feel part of the drum and bass yeah. scene myself because I don't play drum and bass. No. Uh, I see drum and bass as like different music from what I do. I, the most drum and bass are like 10, 15 BPMs faster and the, the, the rhythms are way more straightforward. I think the only thing, the only genre, drum and bass genre that is still like a thing at the moment where, which, where I feel kind of akin to is uh, Liquid. Because that has, I've had, and I never really listened to Liquid and I, but I only found out about, I only started listening to a bit of their stuff in the, in the past few years. But I've had a couple people uh, tell me a few years ago, like, your stuff is basically, a lot of it is like a, 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 a different version of Liquid with different kinds of beats in it. But the atmospherics yeah, of indeed, it, the atmospheric do you sound, stuff, yeah. a lot of it sounds really like a lot of Liquid drum and bass. So, um, so how does it work with, for instance, Critical? Do you get total musical freedom? Uh, yeah, well, there's a weird thing. When Kazra, uh, the owner of Critical, hit me up last year, he asked me if I wanted to do an EP. And so um, I was like, oh, well, that's like a proper drum and bass label. And I thought to myself, like, I don't, I, I'm not sure I have something that would really fit this label. So I started working on a new tune which was a bit faster than I usually did and I sent it to him and he just he didn't want it he, no? he's like no 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 no. and then I realized like no of course not he asked me because he wants my music he's not asking me to hey I kind of like your music but could you make something in the in a similar vein to what we use <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Of, uh, no, but I've had that happen to me like yeah. really really weird like labels hitting me up like uh, oh, I love your tunes man want to do a release with you and I sent him literally like a dozen tunes and he's like yeah you got kind of an old school vibe to it I don't have the audience for it and I'm like yeah, why the yeah, fuck why do you ask me that <laughs> can't you make something a bit more modern sounding like the rest of my label I'm like, no but man no of course not that's not no I mean I'm willing to sell out but it's got to be for the right price you know like not for <laughs> not for 200 quid like no no I'll just stick to my guns for as long as it's not like yeah, you know but, what I mean. But for instance, this this critical uh, EP you're doing, um, how is it different from other stuff that you make? It isn't. But I think, b b will it be a bit darker or? Um... No, not really. No, I don't think so. Um, but the first one I did for them for for critical, I just sent Kazra because I had completely ran out of tunes. This was like. Um, we were just in the first lockdown. I think he emailed me and like. April last year or something, maybe even before that. And I'd completely run out of tunes because I've been doing loads of gigs with very, very, very little time to produce. So I sent him my very last tunes, like a bunch of, I think like six tunes. And I was like, just pick whatever you want, man. And, and he just picked like a couple of tunes from that batch and that was DP. Okay. Um, and then now the, this time around, I've gotten a bit more picky about what I, I, I don't. The, back in the day, or back in the day, up until like a year ago, when labels were asking for tunes, I would just send them 
10 tracks to pick from or wh- however many I had left and have them pick what they wanted but I don't do that anymore like nowadays I'll just like well okay I'll send them these three or four tunes maybe which I think would make for a nice EP and it's like a take it or leave it thing and it usually yeah. works well up to now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then in um, so far yeah I've, I've done that with a couple of labels now where I'm just like well these three tracks I think they fit nicely together uh, you want them and then well uh, and if, if there's something in there they, they really don't want then I'll be like okay I can I can give you one other tune to sw- swap it but if if they're like all four tunes like nah we don't want this and I'm like, okay well then not so uh, Joel we are very happy to have you in uh, on the 25th of September in Melkweer hi this is Mark from the Curated By podcast editorial note it's actually on the 26th in the Melkweer and Brethren's been replaced by Wiz, but still, we all hope to see you there. Uh, I think for us it's new because a lot of past four or five years we don't, did only drum and bass, and now we've got like a blend. We start the night with Jerobi and you, and then and from Nympho and Rachel goes to drum and bass. Uh, is, is that the future for jungle drum and bass parties in, in the Netherlands? Ooh. I think you have a better perspective on that and than I do. You're a promoter, I'm not. <laughs> oh. Well, well, well. Oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it to be like snappy or like... No, no, no. I'm serious. I, I, I have no idea. You have no clue. No, I don't know. Because like I said, you've been, but you've been throwing drum and bass nights for so long, so you have a way better perspective on what the people want. I haven't been to any drum and bass parties in the Netherlands since... The only one I went to was Martin's party at Tribe for Wait, like mates. ages. Yeah, I, I, so, so I have no idea what that crowd, uh, what way that crowd is going to react to to their stance towards jungle. I don't know. Um, yeah, I hope and we hope um, that, it, that it will open up everything uh, in after post-COVID, but also bringing back, uh, uh, yeah, mixing of, of genres and crowds. But how do you think, Thomas? Um, I'm hoping for this for a long time, actually. Um, I think I'm hoping for it as yeah. well. But if I, the only thing thing I can compare it to, sorry to cut you off, yeah, there, yeah. But is like the drum and bass nights that I've played in uh, in the UK in the past few years. And the weird thing is that even though jungle is what spawned drum and bass, and you think that there, it's like an extension, like to you, uh, Rick, you say it's like one. Of, different versions of one and the same thing yeah which it kind of is but at the same time you see people from all kinds of genres that are interested in jungle right now and the one genre where there has like a hardcore following that it seems to not be interested as far as like not not so much the promoters or the labels or the producers but the the punters going to the parties that are not interested in hearing jungle is a drum and bass crowd so I've played a few drum, a few drum and bass nights and and daytime events in the UK, and it's like the the the, the kids coming there. They they're all like late teens, early twenties. They were there for 175, 180 BPM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I started playing a 160 jungle set, and they were just looking at me. <laughs> it's like, who the fuck are you? What are you doing here, man? What what's yeah. this music? It's like they they yeah, were I'm, not yeah. having it. They just fucked off to. Uh, a different room so, I but, act- but I have to say that was a couple of years ago and, and things have definitely changed indeed, in indeed. the past I few think years that's I've effect, definitely yeah. seen a lot of changes so. and I think especially with this combination of music that we're having this night um, 
I have some trust in this then, uh, that people will like the combination. I hope so. Yeah, I sound no? kind of negative yeah. towards Dumb and Bass. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You're from jungle, you know? <laughs> I don't mean it. I don't mean it that way. No, but it is interesting, I think. And also what you see in uh, like more in the house techno parties, where you see more jungle. Um, I, I think it's just getting into more genres, actually. That's how uh, I hope, man. That's yeah. why I said like, we were talking about Deckmantle. Uh, like for instance, Storm, because Storm, well, she comes from like, she's like proper old school, yep. like foundational. She comes from an era when it was still called jungle. Yep. But she's a, more like a proper drum and bass DJ now, isn't she? She plays like indeed, quite, indeed. quite hard yeah, drum indeed. and bass. Yeah. Like, um, and she did a closing set of one of the nights at Deckmantle. So that's not even jungle, you know, that's drum and bass proper. Yeah. So that is kind of telling about how things are changing. If you program the right, if you have a certain build-up throughout the night, I think you can get away with a lot of... Yeah, and it will be interesting just after a, a while. A lot of different genres on one night. Yeah, and it will be interesting after a while that everything was closed. Maybe it's a good moment with this party to start a new era, you know, yeah, to, bring, uh, so. to bring these uh, things together. So, uh, you mean COVID era? Yeah. Yeah, indeed. well, it's, it's, it's been hard on me, but it's definitely had its pros for me as well, because I've produced a lot, so... And we I think, didn't talk I think about it was this. Like, I think it was like a reset button yeah. for a lot of people, but the thing is, it's taking way too long now. So the yeah. reset button was nice, but I want things to be yeah. like... I want the play button to be pressed again. Yeah, now. but what has changed in the past year, musically? And like, uh, uh, when we start again, what will be different? Probably, probably exactly the same. Probably the same for a couple of years. I think so. I think like there, there's, there's probably you can never predict those big changes in it. Yeah, indeed. It's like dubstep kind of came out of nothing, and there was like the the last big shift. There, I, in my opinion, at least, there was the last genre that was legit, completely different yeah. from anything before it. Yeah. But you could argue that it was similar to dub, but it really wasn't. No. So, um, but let's see. I think it will be party, definitely. It will be. Party. So um, well, um, I don't think anyone can say with with what what's going to be next, though. Indeed, but we and are definitely defi- not when. Yeah. And we're definitely looking forward to the 25th of September. Yeah. yeah. Um, want to thank you, man, You're for welcome. the conversation. Thank you. Thanks very much. for having me, man. Cool. You're tuned in to the Curated by Podcast.